I hope in singing that to each other and in the presence of our God, each of us were strengthened for the journey. The scriptures say, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Knowing that, despite our best desires, most of us live as if we daily battle life with human strength. That somehow we believe that the, the daily battle of life is humanly manageable. We rely on our abilities. We rely on our potential. We rely on our okay track record. But honestly, I want to tell you that every day you think or live like that, you place yourself and your family the center of a very horrible mismatch. Israel was in a terrible economic depression. For seven years, all of their profit went into the hands of a competing multinational. And rather than audit their own spiritual condition, they became further entrenched in self-reliance. It is a natural tendency for us when the waves of trouble, the extremes of pressure, life buffets us, that we hunker down and try to figure a way out on our own strength. And if the pressure becomes strong enough, we will eventually start to reflect upon our relationship with God and audit our spiritual situation. But for most people, survival is enough. Too many of us have given up the idea of abundant living a long time ago. But God doesn't want that for you. God wants better. In spite of, our na- in spite of Israel's national identity of fear, particularly the fear of failure, 
They had settled into going it on their own strength. Self-reliance was keeping them in a state of ruin. And I want to say today that it may be the same thing that is holding you back from really moving forward with God. Turn in your Bibles, please, with me to Judges chapter 6. The struggle of doing sermons in summertime is people are coming and going in any given week. And not everybody who is here this morning was here last Sunday morning. And the context of where we're heading with this is somewhat reliant on you having been here last Sunday morning. So I may have to catch you up a little bit. I want to talk about the story of Gideon. We started it last week, both Sunday morning and Sunday night. So there's a number of things we learned. And in particular... Israel had fallen into disfavor with God because they were relying on their own strength. They were disloyal, having affairs with the world and with the gods of the world. There was Baal worship and Asherah worship. God had allowed them to fall into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. And for seven years, they had been hiding in caves and crevices and crannies and having the Midianites swoop in at harvest time every year and take their harvest away. Instead of turning to God and turning away from idols, turning away from the gods of the land, they just continued year in and year out to try and rely on their own strength, rely on their own ways. It's a human tendency to do that. It seems easier. It seems more obvious. We get up in the morning, we look in the mirror and say, it's going to be up to me, I guess. Paul Richardson, in his book, A Certain Risk, writes this, all of us are challenged and battered by an unrelenting series of skirmishes between God's transforming work in us and our addiction to our pathetic physical capabilities he's right about that that's the battle that's the constant battle of our lives at issue for each of us repeated many times over depending on how slowly we learn is when we will finally be fed up with being swamped under the failing force of our own addiction to self-reliance and finally finally throw in the towel in God's direction and say, I really can't. I really can't. But God can. And the crossover moment for Israel was when they finally cried out to the Lord. In Judges chapter 6, verse 7, it says, when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, when they finally had come to the place where they were fed up with failing and defeat and finally prayed, you know, if, um, if you can't succeed as a last resort, you can pray. God doesn't want prayer to be a last resort. But it was the crossover moment for them. 
In other words, the question is asked, when will you finally grow weary of the, as Richardson puts it, the idiotic stare of your own paralysis and cry out to the Lord? That will always be the turning point for action. Always. Our Father and our God, we don't want to go any further, any deeper into this presentation of your word without calling out to you in no way do we want to embark upon this journey in our own strength in no way do I want to proclaim this message in my own strength I want to cry out to you Lord and I want to ask you to help us to help us not just sing words like if God is for us who can be against us our God is stronger and then walk out of here tomorrow and rely on our own savvy, our own strength, and try to do it all over again with our own abilities. Lord, it is time for us to grow tired of our pathetic physical capabilities. It is time for us to have the Spirit of God reinvigorate our confidence and belief in the power of God to run, to lead, to overshadow, to empower our lives. All of our lives, every moment of our lives, all that we attempt. So Father, please take us through this journey this morning with... Um, a particular application to each individual. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would be pleased to trans, uh, translate the text into the various particular situations that are represented in this room. Lord, some people are heartbroken. Some people are tired of defeat after defeat to sin. Some people are getting eaten alive by the enemy. Some people are, are perplexed in, a, in a, a relationship setting that is swamping their emotions. Some people are having problems with their children. Some people are having trouble with their parents. Some people are having trouble at the job, the work site. Some people are having trouble making ends meet. And you have a message this morning for every single one represented. Forgive us, Father, for leaning on our own strength and understanding, which we are so naturally inclined to do and take us on a journey into your heart to sample all over again your riches and power and to leave this place with a resolve based on the Holy Spirit's convicting work and power to do things differently in the areas of reliance. Lord, many of us 
are spending more of our lives in fear of failure than on focus in the God of promise. May we, by your power and your grace, see that change in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The strategy that Israel had employed to manage the mess of their lives was, and this is review, by the way, was to accommodate their compromises. They had just decided to lower their moral and physical and spiritual standards. That's one way. That's one way to be disloyal to God and and try to to get along with the mess. Uh, They had accumulated junk gods that they could be in charge of. It says they were worshiping the gods of Baal, the Asherah poles. They had long ago decided that uh, they would employ investment strategies and humanistic strategies and superstition and hidden pleasures that would mask the pain for time. They had come to the place where they decided it's up to me. I'm going to find a way. I'm on my own, I guess. Or I'll find strength and confidence in the existing resources, the the numbers that are around me. It finally became really cramped living in caves and crevices and limitations on their lives bounded and fenced in by human capacities that were increasingly confining. The defeat and the beatdowns by the competition that they were taking for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, they couldn't stomach any longer. The Gideon lessons are all designed to teach us how pathologically hard we fight to stay in charge of everything and rely on ourselves. When in truth, as Hudson Taylor put it, all of God's great men, or women for that matter, have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them then counted on his faithfulness. In other words, fearful people who learn learn to focus on God. (laughs) The, The pressures are daunting. The struggles of life are opposing us. If God is for us, who can be against us? The reason the Apostle Paul wrote that is because there are all kinds of people against us. There are all kinds of forces against us. Satan and hell itself is arrayed against us. Make no mistake about it. If you go into this life battle on your own strength, you are in an incredible mismatch. And this Gideon battle strategy and this battle story is an opportunity for us really to be confronted with the real odds that are stacked against us every day. To see what is usually unseen. I want to pick up the story at verse 32 of Judges 6. So that day, after Gideon had torn down the idol to Baal and used the Asherah pole to, as, as a burnt as, as fuel to burn an offering to the Lord. 
It says, so that day they called Gideon Jerubbaal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Or literally, Baal challenger. Let's just call Gideon Baal challenger. That'll, that'll be his label. And, and then we'll see if Baal can protect himself. Now all the Midianites, it says in verse 33, Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. I want to stop there. I want to answer a question this morning, and it is this. How does God move you from the fear of failure that self-reliance causes to focus on the God of promise, especially when evident, especially evident when you're in prayer? Uh, Israel, by the way, was steeped in bad theology and doctrinal confusion. And when we read the text, and if, as we discovered last week, they were hedging their bets in terms of religion. Uh, they were following, allegedly, Yahweh God, Jehovah God, but all the time they had Baal worship and Asherah poles. The Baal worship, of course, and the Asherah poles were devoted to the idea of fertility. And uh, they, they were the gods of the land. They were the gods of the Canaanites. So it seemed, as, as you studied their situation, that, that Israel had decided that for provision, they would rely on the gods of the Midianites, the gods of the Canaanites. For their daily food, for their daily providing, they would rely on the gods of the people of the land to provide for them a harvest. And guess what happened? Year after year, they had a harvest. But they were also de depending on the Lord God, the God, Jehovah God, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator God, to be their protector. That, that somehow they could rely on the gods of the land to be the provider, but rely on God to be the protector. And as they were analyzing their life situation, they were noting that they were getting a harvest but it was being taken away from them by marauders. So they were theologically confused. They were thinking, uh, the gods of the land are powerful, but our God who's supposed to protect us isn't protecting us. That's why Gideon, when, when the Lord confronted him, said, what are you talking about the Lord is with us? You're not with us. You're letting us get defeated and destroyed and beat up. Say, wow, that's, a, that's an interesting Old Testament story. I can't really relate to it, but it's an interesting Old Testament story. Wait a second. How many of us live the very same way? We rely on our own strength for provision. But we turn around and expect God to bail us out of any trouble or protect us. All you have to do is analyze your prayer life. Oh, Lord, please be with me when I do this. 
Oh Lord, please protect me when I'm here. Oh Lord, please don't let me get sick. Now it's off to work. That doesn't work for God. The first thing God does to move you from the fear of failure and self-reliance is he's going to wean you from dependencies on other gods. And other gods don't have to be some sort of totem pole. You can be the other god. You could be the idol. Because the effect of disloyalty will be relentless, successful enemy oppression. God had not lost his power. God had not lost his ability to protect them. God was refusing to protect them. If you want to rely on your own understanding, if you want to rely on your own strength, if you want to rely on the gods of the land to provide for you, God is not going to come along and protect you. He's going to withdraw his protection. You want to provide for yourself? Go ahead. And by the way, do any of us here think that the, the Baals, the Asherahs, were providing the harvest for God's people? Of course they weren't. The simple truth is, the effect of enemy oppression and defeat will produce many insecurities and fears in a person's life. If you want to copy the culture and be shaped by the flesh, the flesh will be a very fearful way to live. Building idols, building into idols instead of building faith in God, full of superstition, investing in everything in case God just doesn't work out. How's that working for you in the fluctuating markets these days? And so they called Gideon Baal Challenger. You have been renamed Christian. Baal Challenger, by the way, he was supposed to be walking around each day and they'd look at him and say, his name has been, he's been renamed Baal Challenger. Baal Challenger. He, he's, he's taken upon himself a, a, a kind of, a, a, of a confidence in the living God. Challenging Baal. Uh, let's see if it works for him. And so every day he walked around and said, hey, there's Baal Challenger. He's still alive today. Maybe Baal isn't very strong. Maybe Baal can't protect himself. Do you realize that, that every day it's the purpose of God that your life will be a reminder that other gods have no power over you and do not, you have no, they have no value to you? That's what it was supposed to be. Every day, Gideon walked around with this new name, Baal Challenger, and people could look at him and say, every single day, he was a reminder of the power of the living God. That's why you've been renamed Christian. Every day, wherever you are, at the workplace, at home, in your neighborhood, around God's people or around people who do not love God, you are to be a reminder that no other gods but your God is powerful. And no other gods but your God is valuable. The first thing that God is going to do if you are disloyal to him 
is to remove all of the other dependencies that are displacing God's rightful place in your life. That might be money. It might be work. It might be health. It'll certainly be worry. Because he wants worship and prayer. Now, I want you to follow along because the next thing that God is going to do after he weans you from other dependencies, God will next battle your pathological commitment to stay personally in charge of everything, your self-reliance, depending on yourself. The power of that, by the way, you give Midian when you try to take on the enemy with your own strength. The variety of things that you do when God kicks out all of the support structures in your life will determine how self-reliant you have really become. And we're going to go on a little bit of a journey quickly with Gideon to see where he was at. Richardson again writes, The agony of faith is wrenching ourselves free of prideful self-reliance and crying out for the resurrected Christ to be our strength. The contest that we're about to embark upon is not because God's power is at issue. God's power is never at issue. When God goes to work in your life, it's not because his power is at issue. Simply put, the deadly effects of self-reliance are killing you, or will kill you, or are killing your family, or will kill the next generation. God makes the issue very clear in, in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, what he is about to do. He says, I'm going to kick out all of the support systems. I'm paraphrasing here, putting in Rick's version. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. God wants you to go to bed to lay your head on the pillow every night with some sort of awe and reverence at what God has done and what God has accomplished through in your life that day. He wants you to, be, to, to, to lie down and, and, and stare back heavenward with a, an attitude of, of reverence at how amazing God is, how gracious God is, how compassionate God has been, how unbelievably strong God has been on your behalf. He never wants us to walk into our room, pat ourselves on the back and say, wow. Lynn, I am impressive. Let me tell you what I did today. Once God clears the landscape of competing gods, either tanking your bank account or taking away your job or disrupting all of your physical securities, it'll be then that it's time to confront the enemy that has been oppressing your life. Because you're really the enemy, the first enemy your own self-sufficiency, which has caused you to have lack of trust in God. 
And when you have lack of trust in God, you start to develop all kinds of insecurities in your life. And all of these insecurities will cause you to live a life of fear. Fear of failure all the time. Gideon is perfect for the job. We find him first hiding in a wine press. He's adapting to failure. He's disappointed with God. Where have you been, Lord? You're not really for us. We've been getting the stuffings kicked out of us day in and day out. I'm really disappointed with you, God. I had, I had hoped for better things. Having a backyard barbecue regularly in the shadow of a great big idol on his property. His property theme park for Baal and Asherah worship. Lots of pornography. And God chooses him. Gideon's not the hero, by the way, of any of this story. We're not the heroes of any of our stories. God and his amazing grace is the hero of every story. God chooses Gideon. I, I, you know, Gideon, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, misrepresent his, the commentary about Gideon in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, okay? Let me just say this. Gideon, his name is used in the hall of faith. God's commentary on Gideon is Gideon's name is in that hall of faith. Because let's, let's be honest here, Gideon did obey God. He tore down the, the gods of the land. He, he, clean, he, he caused religious reform to start to take place in the hood. When all of his homies were against him. But Gideon, like every other human being who somehow reaches into the hall of faith, and by the way, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ puts you in the hall of faith. It's not because we're strong or, or wonderful or because we've accomplished so many great things or, or, or because we are specifically talented or, or incredibly gifted. It's because God has so graciously chosen to use a broken, cracked pot like you and like me and make something amazing happen in our lives. But it doesn't change the facts that God is using weak, broken, but dust creatures. And it's in that context that Gideon steps forward and is chosen, verse 13 of chapter 6, and gifted. Verse 34, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now let me explain to you that in the Old Testament it was more about power, not about maturity. When it says the power, or when the spirit of the Lord came upon a leader in the Old Testament, it didn't necessarily imply that they had come along in their life and they were really filled with the spirit in terms of maturity before God. And you're gonna see why in a few minutes. It just means that, that God had put his his finger on them and said, you're, you're the one. I'm, I'm going to work my grace, my amazing compassion, my power through you. 
You're nothing special. In fact, you're not all that great at all. Which makes you the perfect candidate. Gideon says to God, verse 36, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. That is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Oh, the old fleece move. Isn't that one of our favorites? This is how I will know the will of God. I will go into my backyard. I'll take a fleece. I'll lay it on the ground. In the morning, if it is dry and the ground is wet, I will know God wants me to do. And so, shazam. In the morning, like it usually is, the ground is wet and the fleece is dry. Oh, Lord, I've been thinking about this. The ground is normally wet in the morning and the fleece was dry. I'm not convinced nor am I sure that I really know the will of God. Please don't be angry with me. Let me try a really hard one for you. Oh, let me think. I know. How about the ground being dry and the fleece being wet? That's the one. Now, before all you fleecers out there get upset with my sauciness, I think uh, we should correctly title this The Fleecing of God. Determining God's direction or was this fear of failure? Now, let me, let's just take this apart for a second and look at it. Look at it. Gideon says, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. <laughs> Isn't that a little bizarre? If, Lord, you will do what you promised me you will do. What more can God do? He makes a promise. Are God's promises not good enough for us? Is God's word not good enough for us? It's entirely ridiculous for, for getting, he wasn't determining God's will, he clearly knew it. He in fact stated it. You, you've told me what you want me to do. He's focusing on his fear of failure. It says in verse 39, he was testing God. And we all know we're not supposed to test God, don't we? If you don't know that, Deuteronomy 6, 16, Jesus said it again in Matthew, Matthew 4, verse 7. We're not to test God. We can only test God in one way, over money, over giving. It's the only time he says to us, you can test me on this. No, Gideon is a man used of manipulation, Look, he was clear on his call. He had been called in 6, 17 to 22. He was clothed by God's spirit. 
and he was confirmed by a following. It says that the Ebiezrites, he summoned the Ebiezrites and uh, went through at Manasseh and Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. They too went up to meet with them. He's a man used to manipulation and God is his latest target. He wasn't trying to determine God's will. He was trying to get out of the assignment. Now, um, I want to say to you, in, there are times in our lives, and many times, unfortunately, where we don't have a direct word from God. And we're looking for God's will. I'm not saying there's never a time to, to sit before God and, and search for his will, search for a door to open, a door to close, all of that kind of stuff. This wasn't what Gideon was doing, though. Gideon had been given clear instructions by God. He was afraid he was going to fail. Hiding behind walls of insecurity, self-sufficiency. In this case, the fleece is divination, not good doctrine. When God gives you his word, you don't have to test it. You, you don't have to put forth ridiculous hoops and barrels that God must go through. If you do, God will do to you what he did to Gideon. If you insist on holding on to your manipulative self-reliance, God will maneuver you into an even more vulnerable situation. I want you to notice the greater vulnerability of Gideon. Early in the morning, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are too, still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give Midianites into, their, into your hands. Let all the other men go each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of Israel to their tents but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. If you insist upon resisting God's work of removing the supporting structures of your life, he will put you in an even more vulnerable situation. Now, look at, I'm just going to give you a very broad idea of what I think is going on here. God will reward your faithlessness and fearfulness by increasing the odds against you.
those of us who have to measure the visibility of a mission or the viability of a mission against the present resources that we can see with our own eyes are in for a terrifying ride. And that includes yours truly. Most of the time, I want to see with my eyes that the mission can be successful. Are you not there? I mean, is that not how our lives kind of unfold? If we do, God will increase our vulnerable situation. Uh, let me just tell you, there was 135,000 Midianites, Canaanites. It says there that the camels, in verse uh, 10, I think it is, it says there that the camels were, uh, there were so many camels, you, they were like the, the sands of the sea. Remember I told you last week, those were cruise missiles that could carry cargo. That's what camels were. And so they had, they, they, they had 32,000 men. Now, Gideon's walking into a battle that's already one against four. I don't like to be one against four. In fact, uh, modern warfare, they tell you that you should be seven to one to win. This is one against four to lose. And so God says, I'll tell you what, all the lame hearts can go. All the fearful get lost. You know why? Because fearful people are infectious. God doesn't want them anywhere near his people. Let the fearful people go home. I'm telling you, whenever God aligns an assignment, he's going to tell the fearful people to go away. You say, wait a second, I think all of us are fearful. I think Gideon's fearful. How come he wasn't told to go home? There's a difference. These are fearful people who have no desire to become fearless. They're just like, you know what? I'm happy worrying my whole life. I'm happy being an anxious person. I, I like to live in fear. I, I feel comfortable being afraid. I just want to be afraid my whole life. And God says, well, you know what? Go home then. And then we have the lickers and the lappers. You got lickers in every church. You got lappers in every church. You got lame hearts in every church. The, la the lickers are the ones who you know, when they see water, like they just dive into it, just stuff their face into it and start licking. The lappers, on the other hand, they fall down to their knees. They cup their hands. You, you can't believe the fanciful commentaries that come out. They, they fall down on their knees in a prayerful look. They cup their hands in a prayerful look. And they raise the water to their mouth. That's who God wants. God wants people who are on their knees with hands folded like prayer Come on. God wanted to pare this thing down so that it would be so impossible, humanly speaking, to win that they could never, ever credit themselves except but to look at God and say, wow, what, in, what an amazing God. I don't know if you're a lame heart, a liquor, or a lapper. I want to be a lapper. Not because of the posture. Because for some reason, God decided to dismiss everybody else and pick that group to do something amazingly big. Well, we've run out of time, and I just want to say that, uh, in fact, the battle is won by Gideon. You can read it for yourself. 
Our God completes the demolition of our self-made securities. Make no mistake about it. And in his amazing sovereignty, he allows Gideon to go down to the camp. And, and get this, to, to happen to eavesdrop on the very conversation in the very tent among the very enemy of all his 135,000 people, he happens to, just happens coincidentally to hear the one conversation that says, we're afraid. We're afraid of the people of God. And Gideon gains strength and courage. Unfortunately, not from the word of God, but from the words of pagans. Is this not a story of God's amazing grace? Step after step, Gideon fails. And God patiently and graciously continues to use him. I, I find it my story. Step after step, I fail God. And he graciously chooses to keep using me and you. You don't need to eavesdrop on the anxiety of the enemy of your heart. The gates of hell are quaking at the thought of a strong man or woman of God advancing. The hurting and the helpless, the hopeless of Oshawa, Durham region, are eagerly waiting the sons of God to reveal themselves, to be liberated by the Lord's love. Now you can keep striving and struggling accommodating and accumulating you can rely on all that yourself can muster you will spend your life in caves and cracks and crevices and crannies of fear or you can determine that the sovereign gracious God who purchased you with the blood of Jesus Christ wants to empower your life and work through you. Our Father, as we finalize our thoughts this morning by singing all over again that song of testimony about your power and greatness, I pray again as I asked at the beginning that you will take this message, your word, your word about self-reliance and fear of failure, and you will translate it into our situation specifically. What particularly am I relying on outside of you? How badly is the enemy beating me up day in and day out because I continue to strive in my own strength? How little time am I on my knees in prayer preferring to live a life of worry and anxiety when you want me to have a life of abundant victory? How soon will I finally say enough and turn to the Lord? strength. 
please, by the power of your spirit, Lord, make it today. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.